Hello, and welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about yet another chosen one so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Slayer by Kirsten White. Joining us to discuss this Buffy the Vampire Slayer YA novel that came out 16 years after the show's finale is Talia, musician, copy editor, and Buffy enthusiast. Hey guys, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about some Slayer with you. (laughs) Talia, welcome. (laughs) Glad to have you. So this is an interesting follow-up, I think, for us because our previous episode was a flashback summer vintage Buffy novel. And this one, if you didn't guess by what I just said about it coming out 16 years after the show, is a, <laughs> as a more recent book that came out in 2019. For, for who, I don't know. And I feel like that will be something that we need to discuss. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I guess a good place to start, and we did talk a little bit about this in the last episode, is how much Buffy is everyone familiar with? Mm. So... I am pretty familiar with Buffy. I watched the show a number of times. Maybe, I don't know. I can't quite can't quite know for sure. Maybe like 10 times overall, which is I can't tell if that's like a lot or not a lot, but it's 10 times more than me, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh I, I think I saw it for the first time like my last year of college. So I might have been a, a little bit of a late comer. I also have read the comic books, or some of them anyway. There, It turns out there are like a lot of comic books uh, from the Buffyverse, but I've at least read the comic that I think it is relevant to, to this novel. So, Oh, interesting. Hur- hooray, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I well, I talked about this last time. I'm a pretty casual Buffy fan, although I, I do feel like a lot of that is just timing. Like, I think if I had watched this when I was in high school, like when it was airing, I think I would have loved it would have become obsessed but you know listeners you might not recall that it used to be actually pretty hard to watch tv shows <laughs> like <laughs> if you didn't you know like i didn't have cable which included the cw or the wb or whatever like we only got antenna channels and so i would have had to i think get a bunch of vhs tapes from the video store to watch this maybe or like get them <laughs> right. you know or borrow them or something i i don't think it was even you wouldn't have even, you would have been able to, much like the X-Files, I believe they did like a series of VHS tapes with like highlights from each season, mm. but the whole thing wasn't collected unless A, like you exchanged tapes with someone online or until the DVDs started coming out. Yeah, which mm. is later. But so yeah, so I watched this when I was in grad school, which was like 2010 through 2012, that was when I was in grad school. I don't remember the exact period of time that I spent watching the show, but by then it was on, you know, it was streaming on Netflix. We had that technology. And I, it's not like I'd ever been like, oh, Buffy sounds dumb and I don't want to watch it. It was just like, I don't know how to watch this. It seems hard uh, yeah. until it wasn't. And then also, like I mentioned last episode, I went to grad school for library science and everybody in library school is like, ooh, Giles, we got to talk about Giles all the time. And I was like, I really have to watch this show just to be able to like hold a conversation with you people. Uh, and and then once I did, it's not like I didn't enjoy it, but that was, I, I almost was like, I must watch this or drop out of school because I can't handle not having seen Buffy any longer with Interesting. these people. Well, Renata, so you and I went to high school together, actually. And so I'm curious, 
Were you also aware of all the people around us who would not shut up about Buffy and who sounded like they were just talking about nonsense like Spike and Angel and like da 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 and like who are these characters with terrible names? Like I, <laughs> I actively did not want to watch Buffy until after I saw, oh gosh, uh, Firefly. Um, oh yeah yeah i watched firefly first actually too yeah someone got me into firefly and i was like this is kind of great and then that same person was like you should watch buffy and then about five other people said it to me too but i don't think i i would have been convinced in high school because i i I didn't like things that other people liked in high school apparently (laughs) so i don't like you and i were friends but we had sort of like venn diagram friend groups that were not, you know, completely overlapping. That's I don't really true. remember. Well, I don't want to drop names. I, I do remember actually one specific person who was pretty annoying about it. And we can talk about we, her. We're probably later. thinking of the exact same person, actually, because <laughs> this person is the same person I think of when I think of, like, yeah. the reason I didn't watch Buffy. Yeah. No, <laughs> our, our thing, not to, like, start a tangent, but the thing that you and I were into was the X-Files primarily. Yes. So, it, yes, it feels, I don't know, like... I'm happy that we can talk about another really important sort of series from the 90s together Mm -hmm. again. So yeah. But yeah, Kate, I think you were the one who was the most time relevantly interested in Buffy. Yeah. So like I mentioned last time, I watched it while I was airing from the summer before season two through... I guess the end of season six. I had to look up when this was because I think I mentioned last time I stopped watching after Tara died and I was vaguely aware of like what was going on in season seven just from like people who I was still friends with on the internet talking about it. Mm -hmm. That was also my senior year of high school. So I also had a lot of other things going on both like socially and mentally and did not like keep as up with it um and to be honest like i never went through and watched all of season seven i've seen some of it Mm. in the the streaming days but never watched the whole thing and i actually went in like i knew i'd read on wikipedia how it ended but when Mm -hmm. i started reading this i had to go brush up on how the show ended and then realize that a lot of the things they were referencing happened in the comics and i was like i'm too lazy to go read (laughs) the summaries of all of the comics but like between tara dying and tara as willow became more outgoing and more which is very funny because i am very like outgoing and social and like that now but as a youth I was very very shy and very very nerdy and very very much related to like early season Willow and then as Willow became more like outgoing and came out of her shell I started instead to kind of like fixate on Tara and then of course Tara was lesbian and I was lesbian I was like this is great and they (laughs) killed her and I already I did not like Spike and I never liked Spike as a good guy I thought he worked best as an antagonist, so I was already annoyed that he was around all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and then they killed Tara, and then I was like, you know what? This show is makes me madder than it makes me happy at this no. point. <laughs> no, I completely agree. Like, I think Tara was just one of the best characters, like, on the entire show. And I, I, I sort of, I feel like I have a similar trajectory uh, for you know, having identified with Willow to some extent and then being like, okay, not so much, but Tara. But so something I've talked about with some other, another sort of fan of like 
Joss Whedon and his whole thing is just this tendency he has to like kill somebody off right at the moment where things are like getting better. And Mm -hmm. like this friend and I call it the Whedon principle. So as soon as like something seems like it's going really well or like, you know, a couple is reunited or whatever, just done, donezo. And then somebody dies and it's often upsetting. And (laughs) this, I yeah, like that's, it's something I really hate about <laughs> like just the the Whedon universes and, and all of that, but also really like, because it does keep the story interesting, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, that's something I think about and I, I, I'm curious to know sort of how maybe you guys think that relates to this book, if at all, like we will, I'm sure we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. It is like Joss Whedon thinks that the best art is the one that makes the characters the saddest or like, or the one that makes the audience the saddest. Yeah. yeah. It has started to feel like it's bad when it happened in Buffy It was bad when it happened in Serenity. I mean, and also obviously we talked a lot in the previous episode about why Joss Whedon is a douchebag and an abuser and a terrible oh, yeah. So we're not going to go over that again. I was yeah. not here to for your previous episode, but I'm just going to I'm just going to agree with everything you said <laughs> from here. Yeah. So. It's just like we can't get into the weeds and spend an hour on it, but like no. we're not endorsing Joss Whedon by talking about this book or this show. Not at all. Yeah, but the thing so like I feel like the first couple times it happened in one of his properties I am a very pro happily ever after person. I am, or at least everyone alive ever after person. Like I am very, I feel like there are better ways to create drama in fiction. Uh, And I talk about that. I've talked about that a lot. So Hmm. listeners are probably very aware of that, but I, Hmm. I feel definitely like by the time, like the first few times it happened, like it sucked, but whatever. And I do feel like by later on in his universe of of writings it was like almost spiteful and i'm sure i'm sure there's a whole bunch of nerds out there listening to this who are like well of course it was there's lots of essays and articles that talk about this and i am 100 sure you're right but my my days of obsessive buffy fandom are long past and i too am a casual at this point so Mm. i i will trust you all that it's out there but yeah like it, it reached a point where it was like oh now you're just doing this like out of spite and it's annoying i i agree mm-hmm. i think that's what makes me angry about it yeah completely agreed so i guess so this book yeah i also this is set shortly after the series finale of buffy like specifically i think they say like 62 days after the events of the finale i guess i I watched this all, like I said, in grad school, like I watched it once through and it was always kind of like, oh, I have this on in the background. Well, maybe I'm working on something. So it's definitely all kind of just like a, a vampiric broth in my brain by now. And I was just like, Buffy did what? What happened? And some of it, I think, like, like Kate said, is because it happened in the comics, not in the show, but also things that legit happened in the show. I was like, huh, I don't remember that at all. So there, I'm sure there are other references in this that I was, like, totally over my head. And honestly, I don't think it really impacted my enjoyment of the show or the book that much, honestly. Hmm. I think I was just sort of able to process this as, like, kind of an interesting magical society. And I didn't... And I, I felt like I was receiving the pieces that I needed to process it. And I would feel like they would mention, like, Buffy did this. Or, you know, they would occasionally be clearly referencing something specific that I didn't know what it was Mm -hmm. and that was fine with me but I do wonder who is this book for 
And hmm. it's funny, Talia, that we were talking about X-Files a little bit earlier because this reminds me so much of the teen Mulder and Scully prequel YA novels that came out a few years ago that we did one of for the podcast where I also oh, cool. was like, today's teens are not watching X-Files. Why are you doing this like specifically YA prequel book? And I also feel like today's teens are not really watching Buffy. So who is like, there's obviously a huge nostalgia market for Buffy and you know it, ha- it still has an intense fandom even as a lot of us kind of had to grapple with like well what's what's up with Joss Whedon can we still like the show like what's up with that yeah um, you know but and there are still tons of comics and stuff coming out now but this is specifically a YA book and I think controversial statement I think you could have filed a few names off and had this work perfectly well as just a sort of like urban fantasy novel with no connection to Buffy. And I feel like any teen would enjoy that. And now I feel like a lot of teens still could enjoy it without knowing much about Buffy at all. But I'm not sure who would pick this up. And I, I want to make one clarification, which it makes it even mm. weirder to me, is that this doesn't take place 62 days after the end of season seven of the show, the last season of the show. It takes place 62 days after the season eight, quote unquote, comic series. Oh. Yeah. So it's even more obscure. Like, it's not even just like, oh, like this takes place after the show. It's like, oh, they are very specifically, which is why I said before, like, I tried to look up like the comic references in it. And I was like, mm, there's too many. This is too much work i'm done but yeah like it the things that it's referencing many of them like don't happen in the show they are things that oh happen God, specifically right. in the comics so kate actually like working off of, of what you just said so i i think i i figured out maybe how to explain this when they talk about the first evil and all of like the many many slayers being activated that's what happens at the end of season seven spoiler alert i guess and what yeah. happens in season eight is the whole thing with the seed of wonder and all the magic goes away. So like, that's the whole plot point of the, you know, quote unquote, season eight comic, which is pretty uh, fun and worthwhile to, to read. So I was yeah. definitely like skimming wikis and when I was like season eight, I guess I was like, oh, I guess I didn't remember how many seasons of the show there were. I don't know. <laughs> I was just like, oh, yeah, this sounds familiar. But OK, I didn't read that at all. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it just it it adds this like extra like weird layer of obscurity to it. I feel like the the choice that they made where they're like, yes, like not only is this a Buffy novel, but it is also canonical with the comics. Yeah. So if someone really wants to dive all in on this, not only do they have to have watched all of the show, and they have to have read these comics. I mean, theoretically, like I also haven't read the comics, and I enjoyed this book a lot. Spoiler alert! But like, also, not only are we making this thing based on a property from many years ago that most teens don't seem to be into anymore, but we're basing it not only on just the show that anyone can get if they've got Netflix, but also specifically the comic books that came afterwards. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. But I did, I did like it. Like I said, like I, I don't remember a ton about the the end of Buffy. I haven't read the comics, but I still thoroughly enjoyed reading this book. I even read it with my eyes. I read it with my eyes instead of book. <laughs> and it was engaging enough that it was not torture the way that reading with my eyes sometimes is now. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Before we go into sort of further into the plot, like quick thumbs up, thumb, thumbs down, Talia. Did you enjoy this book? Uh. And it's fine if you didn't. (laughs) Overall, I really did. I thought it was really 
pretty fun. I thought it did capture the spirit of uh, just some elements of the show that I always did enjoy. So for instance, just sort of like this idea of like self-sacrifice, like self-worth mm-hmm. and agency, and this sort of general metaphor of like becoming a slayer equals like growing up, which I think is one of the things that makes the original show pretty relatable. And mm-hmm. I also liked sort of the the, the quirky humor. I, I thought that was captured pretty nicely. Like I, I really did enjoy that. But overall, I had a really hard time getting into it initially. Like I'd say mm. the first 100 or 150 pages I was a little bit cranky about, I, I think just, I, and so full disclosure, I, I, I mentioned this to you both earlier, but I finished a copy editing certificate right before reading this book. <laughs> this was the first book I read for fun in over a year. So <laughs> I wow. didn't mean, it's possible Welcome. that I got a little like <laughs> specifically, you know, like, picky about some things mm-hmm. I tried to let that go and eventually I did like I, I think the sort of the thing I had trouble with was maybe the character introductions and development it just it felt mm-hmm. kind of it felt I don't want to say messy but it was like oh my gosh like this character is I can't tell if she hates everyone including her twin sister or if she like really loves her twin sister like and, and I I can totally see how this is on, this could be intentional too, like you know, if the author's sort of identifying with like, what is a teen feeling when things are going really wrong in their lives? Like, I can totally see how maybe the way, it, like, the sort of back and forth and the hot and cold that she feels for the other characters is mm-hmm. sort of part of 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 who she is and, and and like what she's going through, and and it's relatable. But it felt like it went on for a really long time. <laughs> and it actually felt like a relief to me when finally, like, things were moving along in the plot. I And that's where I kind of had fun. That's where I was like, oh, this is actually sort of a fun, easy read. But for, for me, just getting into it felt messy. So I'm going to give it a tentative thumbs up. I really did okay. enjoy it. I would, okay. yeah. I just, from our, t- our preliminary emails, it seemed like you really didn't like it. And I was like, that's interesting. <laughs> um, which I also think, you know... I was just really willing to like roll with and be like, oh, I guess that happened and I didn't remember. And I feel like if you remembered it more clearly, it might have been more irritating, like the things that she kept referring to. And I was just like, yeah, sure, that probably happened. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And for for what is worth, just like from the reading text with sort of a critical eye, there were a few things that made me a little crazy. I don't know. I, I could mention <laughs> them now or as we get into the actual text, but there were some like, just reoccurring things that that happened where I was just like, do we need this? Like, do the readers <laughs> need to know? So I'll, I'll just say that the thing I noticed, maybe this is just me being super picky. There were so many descriptions of ponytails. Did you guys <laughs> notice this? Yeah, well, that's how you tell the sisters apart, because Artemis always wears a pony, and Nina doesn't. And her ponytail is described at very... Artemis's ponytail is at various times described as... I think it's, hold on, I actually took notes. So <laughs> as it's yeah. either brutal, severe, or it's redone to be tighter. So I totally get like, it's a thing, but I'm. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's like, there were like 10 descriptions of ponytails throughout this entire book belonging to various people. And I think this is just me being really cantankerous. So let's just, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> yeah, that one didn't bug me as much, but like, yeah, I do read a lot of YA and there is a lot of like hair 
description is often part of it. But yeah, let's Fair. start going through the plot and like definitely feel free to bring up other uh, annoyances as they come along. Ooh, I will. Okay. Challenge accepted. Starts with a prologue, and this does a thing that a lot of, I think, fantasy books do, where it's like, here's an italics chapter, so you know it's a different point of view. And so we occasionally get these italicized chapters from the point of view of someone we don't know, and the first one is like, they're a hunter, and they have hired a vampire to try to kill two girls, and the hunter feels a little bad about it, but it's like, it's necessary, they have to die, but then it doesn't work. The vampire is instead slayed, and the girls get away. Yes, uh, and it is it is clear from the beginning that the girls are twins, mm. and that the hunter is after them because there is a prophecy that needs to be stopped before it can be fulfilled, and the best way to do it would be to kill one or both of these girls. And then we flash to the future, where, and it, it should be said in this prophecy, of the two girls, one of them panics and one of them kills the vampire. And then we get to the present and our point of view character, Nina, who we find out very quickly is a watcher from the Watcher's Council in Buffy, which if you are unfamiliar with Buffy, I'm sorry for everything we've said so far in this episode. <laughs> um, but the Slayer is the one girl in all the world who has chosen to fight the vampires and the Watcher is a, a person who also has a bloodline where their role is to watch over the Slayer and train her and help her, aid her in her quest to find and destroy like vampires and demons and shit. And mm-hmm. uh, Nina is the daughter of a Watcher, of two Watchers, actually. Both her parents were Watchers. And we find out that she has a twin sister and... You know, very, very quickly, it's it's clear that we're supposed to be thinking of these two girls from the prologue. Her mm-hmm. sister Artemis is good at everything. Everyone loves her. Uh, she is very athletic. She is very smart. She always, every- always wears a severe ponytail. Yes. <laughs> um, everyone in the castle relies on her for everything. Everyone thinks she's like the best golden child. Uh, whereas Nina is asthmatic and largely exists in the castle to act as the medic for the Watchers. Uh, and except- she's, she's very sullen about the fact that like people Watcher society doesn't take medicine seriously and they think people should just die rather than like get medical treatment. Yeah, and she also she carries a chip in her shoulder, understandably, that when she was young, she and her sister were in a house fire together. And her mother came to help save them, but could only take one at a time and chose to take her sister first and leave her in the burning building and then like came back for her eventually. But there was like, it was not necessarily clear that she would have been able to come back. Mm -hmm. So she has her entire life, like felt like her mother has rejected her and has chosen her sister Artemis instead of her. I'm just going to say real quick, if you're like, why did they name one kid Nina and the other one Artemis? I'm going to tell you right now that Nina's name is actually Athena, but you don't find that out for a long time. (laughs) And that was really bugging me. That was bugging me too. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, she goes by Nina and she is sort of bitter about that too. No one takes me seriously and no one will even call me my like cool, powerful name, Athena. They just call me Nina. So we find out just some Buffy info dumping for you they do in the first chapter that magic used to be an important part of the watcher and slayer like lifestyle but buffy destroyed the seed of wonder which killed all the magic in the world and closed all the portals to other dimensions and 
also some stuff went on that like all of the watchers basically were killed except for those who were on this retreat together in the middle of nowhere and that includes nina uh, and her sister artemis and their mother helen reese who is a full watcher in training he like passed all these tests and like the idea was if there were still slayers he would one day be a watcher to a slayer Mm -hmm. which notably artemis failed this test like even though everyone's like artemis is the best she failed that last test so she would technically never go on to like activate and become a full-on watcher yes um who else there is um imogen oh yeah my note about Jade says Jade is also there. <laughs> <laughs> she, yeah, Jade. Jade is basically just like Jade. Also, is a watcher and hangs around she's, and is cranky. To be clear, she's also not a watcher. Yeah, also there's not. A watcher. She's also mm-hmm. like a one of the younger people. And there's who, this like generation of like children of watchers who failed the watcher exam test, except for Reese. So they're like watcher support staff basically but wouldn't go on to be full-on watchers yeah because there's different levels of watchers there's like an actual like active duty watcher who could be activated to take care of a trip of a a slayer and then there's like research watchers and like watchers who like do like special ops in the field and watchers who like go around and do other things like there's different levels of watcherness i i feel like this book takes a lot of liberties in sort of trying to expand the watcher world and like give it more stuff which i guess i appreciate but at the same time yeah i don't know i it seems like a lot to me but oh well it's it's canon now so Guess I had better not complain too much. (laughs) actually the buffy wiki which i spent some time on describes this as dubious canon Oh, okay. I will say as like a total pain in the ass for this stuff, this <laughs> is the kind of stuff that I eat up. As a person <laughs> who's like Griffin McElroy, I have so many questions for you about how Amnesty Lodge operates as a public facing inn. Please sit down for my interview about just this topic. It'll only be three or four hours. <laughs> someone lay out like, well, here's how the Watcher Council works and operates in the world in a way that like sort of makes sense. I'm like, yes, tell me more. But I do recognize that it is probably not scintillating reading for everyone. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of info dumping in these first couple chapters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. By the way, did we say this book is set in Ireland? Because it is. No, but now we have. But Nina, Nina and Artemis and Helen are Americans who like got assigned there or whatever. Yes. Also in this like young generation is Imogen, who is a little bit older. She's described as being like in her 20s and not a teen, but she's sort of lumped in with them. And her job is basically like the teacher nanny for the three or four capital L littles who are like the young children of watchers or watcher associates who, you know, live there also. And so Imogen is always described as being sort of like taken advantage of, but she's like so nice and she's so good with the kids, but she's just sort of like, nah. Well, she, so her mother, so Watchers Mm. is like, it's like a a calling passed down through bloodlines. And her mother was an actual canon Buffy character from like season three or four. Oh, yeah. It was on her wiki. Yeah. Gwendolyn Post. I learned Mm -hmm. this and then immediately forgot about it. Yeah. So she, um, when Buffy dies, 
when Kendra dies, so Buffy dies at the end of season one <laughs> and then is brought back to life and then a new Slayer is called and then that Slayer is killed. And when that Slayer dies, another new Slayer is called Faith, who becomes like a recurring Buffy character. And she shows up in Sunnydale. And then not long after she shows up, Gwendolyn Post, Imogen's mother, shows up. And she is supposedly a watcher sent by the Watcher's Council for Faith specifically and to like spy on Giles. But it turns out that actually she's gone rogue and she was after an artifact that was in Sunnydale and just pretending she had been a watcher, but she had gone rogue, actually was not sent to spy on Giles and take care of Faith. And she had to be killed in order to keep her from, you know, getting a hold of evil things. So no one in the Watcher's Council really takes Imogen very seriously. Yeah, she's like specifically outcast and like specifically wasn't even allowed to like take the Watcher test. I already forgot about this. Yeah. <laughs> but now that like basically all the watchers are dead, they're like, well, I guess I guess we have to do what we can with what we have. Mm-hmm. So do we know if this idea that like a, a watcher is sort of a blood right thing? Do we know if that was sort of invented just for this book or was that canon in the series before? I do kind of feel I can't 100% remember I was on the Buffy wiki page for Giles, and it says he describes himself as a third generation watcher. Yeah, oh. like because I, I remember he went through his rebellious phase because I he didn't want to be a watcher, and then I know that Wesley's when Wesley's backstory comes out in Angel, when I finally started liking Wesley, he talks a lot about like how abusive his parents were because they wanted him to be a perfect watcher. That's so. right. I f- kind of forgot about Angel, which I I've also watched, but. I, I think I've only watched it once and I've forgotten about a lot of it. So mm-hmm. once again, sorry to anyone listening to this who's no idea about Buffy. Sorry, I somehow keep managing to pull all of these fucking Buffy factoids out of my ass, even though I'm, I probably haven't watched it since college. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm the one who's also at like, I am asking these questions. So <laughs> a lot of our audience probably is some level of Buffy fan. And mm-hmm. if they're not, they're hopefully not listening on. Honestly. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Okay, anyway, I think that's all the youths in the castle. And then an associate youth is Killian, who is the boyfriend of Reese, but he doesn't live at the castle. He lives in the nearest town, which is called Shankum. And he like does deliveries to the castle for them. Yes, his mother owned a magic shop before magic stopped happening. And even after magic stopped happening, he has continued to do deliveries. And then the adults in the castle currently are Ruth Zabuto, who is basically like the librarian, and she's like old and pretty chill. There's Bradford Smythe, who is older, and we, well, we'll get to him later. And then there's Wanda Winton Price, who is the mother of Wesley, as, as described from Angel, who was a failed watcher who I guess apparently went to work for Angel in the show Angel that I didn't watch at all. Um, and then there is Nina and Artemis's mom, Helen. Yes, Wesley, if I'm recalling correctly, was the actual watcher who was sent for Faith after like fake watcher Gwendolyn Post was sent. I think that's right. Okay. Oh, and then also we've learned that we learned that Nina really hates Buffy Partly because of all the stuff that Buffy did that I don't remember her doing. And partly (laughs) because Nina's father was Buffy's pre-Giles first watcher who died 
because of Buffy. I mean, not because of demons, but like, you know. But she Buffy she's a teen and she's like, if he hadn't, he had the choice to take Buffy on and he wasn't going to do it. But then he did it and it's her fault she's dead, kind of. Teen angst. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and this character was was Merrick Jameson Smythe, who was um, in the show. In the briefly. movies. Oh, in the movie? It said yeah. he was in the show, too, on the wiki. Oh. oh. Well, he he might have been. I might have forgotten that, but he is in the sh- he is in the movie. Yeah, I guess this wow. No, this this book really does encompass like all of the Buffy things, including like the movie, which was not great. And oh, oh all right, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the first chapter is basically like here's all the people in the castle, and then also now a hellhound is here. And it attacks, and Nina instinctively like destroys this hellhound, like like launches into like sick fighting moves and kills it with like her bare hands, which she's you know she's never really had any combat training because no one wanted her to have it, and also because she always like wanted to be a medic instead of a fighter anyway. And she, so she, ever since the fire, she has had asthma and everyone has kind of treated her as like fragile Mm -hmm. but she noted that the day that the magic broke which was also a day that she had an interaction with a demon she felt change she felt something happen in her and she hasn't needed her inhaler since and she has felt like much stronger but she's been afraid to tell anyone because she thinks that she may have secretly become a demon right when like magic was going away Yes, because that day, like, a demon came out of a portal in the sky or something. <laughs> anyway, that's all the first chapter. <laughs> and then the second chapter, the castle goes into lockdown because of the demon. But, um, and actually, I guess some of this info dump that we told you was also in season, or season two, chapter two. But also here, no one, like, believes, really, that Nina's the one who killed the hellhound. And, like, her mom is especially dismissive about it. Uh, her mom, uh, like, seems like a real B word, to be honest. Mm-hmm. it's very true and by b word i mean bitch not buffy <laughs> so yeah there's there's a lot of like nina and killian and reese are kind of like oh well, like reese you have to protect killian and nina you know and killian nina's no nina also you really need to protect nina and nina's like very put out of sorts about this yeah but they do it does come out that nina was the one who killed the hellhound not artemis so they call a watcher's council meeting and the meeting is about nina but like none of the kids are invited but artemis is like oh like but there is a special way that like i know a secret tunnel that we can take that we can spy on the meeting and nina's really hard that artemis hasn't told her about this tunnel because are they like tell each other everything and she's like you know artemis has been having cool tunnel adventures without me yeah and she also like it is like I said, she had been afraid that she was maybe becoming a demon, but now has kind of accepted that it's possible that she is actually becoming a slayer, which she is horrified by. She thinks it's maybe even worse than becoming a demon because Mm -hmm. she hates slayers and she hates Buffy and she is very upset about this. Yeah. And throughout this, like in addition to the thing with her dad, although it's like clearly mostly the thing with her dad, she's like, Buffy's so impulsive and like, you know, watchers are so like, we do the research and we're like methodical and watchers are just like, fuck, or, and slayers are just like chaotic and I hate it. Like there's a lot of that, like just a lot of anti-slayer messaging coming from Nina throughout the book. And it's interesting too, because like part of 
And I thought this was going to be more like explicitly addressed and maybe it will be in the next book. But she spends a lot of time being like real cranky that like Buffy didn't do things the way a Slayer should do things. And that's like, if you're unfamiliar with Buffy, that is a recurring theme through the show. But it's mostly because she has friends and associates and people who work with her and help her in a way that Slayers aren't supposed to have outside of their watcher. And that's also kind of like what Nina wants to like her whole thing is that like she thinks that like watchers should be kinder and like pay be think more about the people and not just about like killing demons and put people first and put relationships first and that is like so she's always mad at Buffy for not doing what slayers are supposed to do which is also actually what she thinks everyone should do mm-hmm. if that if any of what I just said makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> I think she does, by the end of the book, start to come into that a little bit more. But yeah, there is a sequel to this, and I wonder if that becomes more explicit in that. Because hmm. this one has a lot of other shit to accomplish first. Yes. So they they spy on this this meeting in the castle, and they discover that at this meeting are Leo and Eve Silvera. And Eve is a watcher, and Leo is a watcher in training, and he is about three years older than Nina and Artemis and Reese. And he was Nina's first crush. And he is Eve's son, if that's not clear. Yes, he's Eve's son. And he was Nina's first crush. And she had Wesley Wyndham Price's sister. Honora? Honora, I guess is how that's it's, pronounced. It's spelled like honor A. Yeah. But I don't know. Honora read poetry that she wrote about him out loud when she was 13 and they were 16. Mm-hmm. And he kind of like brushed it off, which she took to mean that he was being unspeakably cruel. And like, she was super embarrassed and has like cut him out of her mind ever since. And because he and his mother were not on site when all of the other watchers were killed, she's kind of assumed he was dead for the past two years. Mm hmm. Does anyone else feel like just Nina's grudge against Leo and and maybe to some extent some of the other characters seems not at all like commensurate with the thing that caused her to feel so uncomfortable like it wasn't he I, I don't know there was just there's something about that with this character like aside from like being left behind by her mom in a fire which yeah that's like pretty traumatic Mm -hmm. i it just or is this a thing that's like more common in ya where it's just like really trying to resonate like feelings in a way like specifically to the reader i does that make sense yeah i i think both of those are true i think her reaction is outsized to what actually happened and i think Mm -hmm. that yeah like that is common in ya and i think it's honestly common in teens to have just like outsized feelings like this is the biggest humiliation ever and you know i think even throughout the book as she becomes closer to leo again she kind of realizes like oh maybe i overreacted but that like that shame just like is such a strong memory to her i i was fine with it yeah (laughs) Yeah, i was gonna say exactly the same thing i i think that's absolutely a great point about just like that that would that's what it is to be a teen because i i think that's something Eh, it's been a while, so yeah. I, uh, which, really, yeah, which which goes back to my point of who is this YA novel for? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so Leo's here and she's real upset about it, but she is kind of 
She's kind of like, oh no, he's still hot. Yeah. Can, yeah. can I actually share like one of the sentences that I read in this book where like I rolled my eyes so hard I was <laughs> shocked they didn't get stuck, which again, maybe this is totally cool for teens, but but it's this. This is uh what what Nina narrates. She says, I didn't think about his lips once because I literally never stopped thinking about them. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it could be just me, so if I'm being- yeah, I think it's I think it's a teen thing. Okay. I think it's yeah. It feels very teenish to me at least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, teens, don't mean to nitpick stuff, but <laughs> can't help it. Hey teens, have you tried being adults? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that sucks too. Maybe uh, you know. <laughs> so the the other the other reason why that like she's kind of she's mad that uh, upset that leo's back because of embarrassment but also she still has a crush on him but also his mother seems to be one of the few people who is taking nina as a slayer seriously Mm -hmm. and she does appreciate that yes and also at this meeting bradford Smythe, who okay so I got a little confused about the reveal. At this point, she thinks slash knows that Bradford Smythe is her great uncle. Yeah. And it later, we'll just we'll just reveal this now because whatever, it's confusing <laughs> otherwise. We later find out that her mother, Helen, is actually the daughter of a slayer. And she is the daughter of Bradford Smythe's slayer who died when she was a baby and he raised her essentially the the slayer died as an adult woman having recently given birth to the baby who was yes 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 so and he he had been her watcher so he took her in and raised helen as a watcher and she well actually helen knew that i think but nina and artemis didn't know that yes Anyway, he at the council meeting reveals that they've always known that Nina was a potential slayer, which is shocking. Ooh. So they have always known Nina's a potential slayer. And then Nina gets an emergency text from Killian that's like really vague, but it's like, I need help. And Nina's like, I'll always help a friend in need. And so she goes to Killian's house and there is an unconscious demon in a cold play shirt, which is very funny to me. Yes. Um, and Killian's like, I don't know, he's just here. And I like attacked him and... Uh, help and so nina gives him some like light medical treatment but also locks him up in the shed because watchers know that all demons are bad of course but nina's like i don't know he's wearing a cold play shirt that seems kind of chill so she doesn't kill him which is like really what a slayer technically should do she like locks him up and leaves and then we get another italics interlude of the hunter by the way each time we get another clue and so when i kind of re-skim this to make my notes like i didn't gather who the hunter was until literally the last one of these and then when i was re-skimming i was like oh there were clues i couldn't figure this out earlier but i didn't i mean same anyway little page interlude of stalking the twins then nina goes back to the castle from killian's house with the demon situation and she kind of has to break back into the castle because she snuck out and Artemis helps her get into the window of their room. And Artemis is kind of like, you can't be keeping secrets from me. Like you're, we're twins and we're always supposed to tell each other everything. Da, 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 da. And Nina gets a note inviting her to do some training at 5 a.m. But to keep it a secret. But of course she tells Artemis because they are twins. Yeah. And there's a lot of she's very annoyed throughout all this that like now that she has been revealed to be a slayer and she's like it's clear that she's very strong and very capable. Artemis is still treating her like she's made of glass. 
Mm-hmm. And it's very frustrating to her that like like when she sneaks back in, she does it in a very like parkour slayer-esque way. And mm-hmm. Artemis is very like, oh, you could hurt yourself. And like, what if I wasn't here to open the window? And like, what would have happened to you? And you don't think about stuff like this. And she's like, would you fucking chill, my dude? It's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So then she goes to the training and it's um, it's Bradford Smythe and Leo and Eve. And they talk about how like we need to train you and like you are a potential. And Nina's really excited because she thinks Eve is going to be her watcher. And Nina like clearly has these mommy issues with her actual mom. And she like wants Eve to be her new mom. But instead Leo's her new watcher, which is sexy yet scary. <laughs> <laughs> And then here's where we get a flashback to actually the scene about of reading the poems, which, as Talia said, doesn't seem like that big of a deal to the reader. But I could see where if you were a 13 year old having it happen, you would want to walk into the sea. Yes. It would scar you for the remainder of your teenage days, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. So Nina heads back towards town, I think, to visit Killian and the demon again when she sees another hellhound. So she lures it towards the castle because she figures they're much more equipped to deal with it than the people in town. And as mm-hmm. she's fighting it, before she can kill it, her mother shows up and shoots it with a gun. Mm-hmm. And... And again, her mom's a real bitch about it. And she's like, you shouldn't even, Mm -hmm. you know, you shouldn't even be messing with this, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And is very, like, very annoyed at the whole thing and annoyed that her mother is, like, acting like she's not a slayer and not taking it seriously and blowing her off. And she's real cranky about it. And she continues to train with Leo, who sort of apologizes. She's really mad when... She goes to, like, the secret training meeting because, like, the first thing that Leo does is say, like, well, she shouldn't have to train as, like, a slayer. She doesn't want to. Like, she doesn't have to train. It's fine. And she felt like he was kind of throwing her under the bus and that he didn't really, like, believe that she was strong enough to be a watcher or a slayer. And he explains, like, no, I just think that the whole destiny thing is bullshit. And I think that everyone should get a choice and shouldn't have to do anything. Like, I feel like we shouldn't have to be watchers either. And she's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. Throughout this, Nina's, like, very hot and cold on the concept of being a slayer, which I also felt was pretty realistic that she's like, I don't even want to be a slayer, but also it hurts my feelings that people don't think I could be a slayer if I wanted mm-hmm. to, which I don't, but I am. Yeah, it's very, mm-hmm. like, it's very clear she's so used to being the twin that no one cares about who is not at all, like, special or stand out at all. And suddenly it turns out that she is actually more powerful than her sister and has, like, a different and stronger destiny than her sister. But people are still treating her sister like she's better and more important through her eyes. Yeah, and then while she's like, I could be a great slayer, she uh, knocks herself unconscious with a pair of nunchucks, which is <laughs> kind of funny. And then while she's knocked out, she has a slayer dream, which... Is a thing I vaguely remember that Slayers can have, and they're sort of prophetic, and also they're, like, linked, so she sees Buffy, but doesn't talk to Buffy because she hates Buffy, but she also sees Bradford Smythe being, like, surrounded by darkness, and she's like, oh, I don't want to dream about Bradford Smythe, and then she also sees another Slayer named Cosmina, and she sees her in kind of, like, a warehousey district, and, like, she's in trouble, and she seems cool with blue hair. And she wakes up, and she's like, I think I had a Slayer dream, and I think we have to, like, help this girl, Cosmina. And people are kind of like, oh, I don't know. Like, do you really have Slayer dreams? Or, like, I don't know. Yeah. And then Artemis is like, well, they're like, well, how do we even find her anyway? And Artemis is like, oh, well, 
mom keeps a, and I did think this was very funny and very kind of in line with <laughs> the stuff we get about watchers in the Buffy canon. She's like, well, mom has a database where she has a, a list of all the potential slayers with all their contact information. And I know because I had to set it up for her because she doesn't know how spreadsheets work. Uh-huh. <laughs> They break into their mom's room to look for it, but it's, like, wiped from the computer, which Artemis is like, that's really sus because mom doesn't know how to delete things. But meanwhile, Neil S- Nina steals a couple of Watcher journals, and then they leave and get almost caught by their mom, who's like, here's some money, go see a Star War. And they're like, that's really weird. Like, we're never encouraged to, like, leave the castle, but... They take advantage of it to go and look up Cosmina, which this is also funny. Nina's like talking about it. And Killian, the normie, is like, I found her. She's on Facebook. There's like not very many people named Cosmina. And this is the only one with blue hair. And like, I found her. Let's go. Which (laughs) it was funny. It was also very funny. Yes. So they seek her out. And they, they end up in the warehouse district from that Nina was dreaming about. But they find a girl there before they can go hunting for Kasmina, who has recently been bitten by a vampire. And she's, like, bleeding. And Nina's first instinct is to take care of her. But then everyone's like, no, you're the slayer, actually. So you need to, like, go after the vampire. We'll, like, stay and make sure that the ambulance comes to help this girl. So she finds the warehouse where she had, like, remembered seeing Kasmina and finds a whole bunch of hellhounds and other demons and werewolves and things that are in cages. She overhears a woman like talking to them kind of about like the plan. And then Nina goes upstairs and realizes that this warehouse is like a supernatural fight club. And there's a bunch of like demons and weirdos like betting on the fight between these like hellhounds and werewolves. And Cosmina the Slayer is in the fight club pit. She's at like Cosmina is in trouble in a in a fight club pit and so nina nina jumps in to like join her and help out but a Cosmina's kind of a bitch about it and she's like i don't need help and then nina is also like well i don't want to kill the werewolves because like when it's not the full moon they'll be like nice chill bros again like i don't want to kill them and Cosmina's like whatever it's like kill or be killed and she's like very willing to to kill the werewolves yes so nina helps Cosmina out of the fight club pit but then Cosmina's like later and leaves and mm-hmm. <laughs> Nina's like, well, fuck that. But then Leo and Artemis show up to help and they're eventually able to like... They catch back up with Cosmina, yeah. And she she's like, the people who run Dublin want these zompires, which is apparently what happens if a vampire, you know, tries to sire a new vampire in this post-magic world, they become zompires where they're sort of like a zombie because because they are magic Uh. something who knows (laughs) but yeah like because mina is like very standoffish she's very much like well when nina's like oh but i also am a slayer because mina's like well fuck that like i don't care go away Mm -hmm. and nina's real put out that like she went out on a limb to try to help this girl who doesn't give two shits Mm -hmm. and artemis and she's also real pissed because artemis is like i can't believe you did all that stuff without me like you could have been hurt like we had to come save you you can't do stuff like that again and nina's like well i'm going to like i can't promise that and artemis is real pissed about it oh also kasmina's like i know you from your fire dreams nina and nina's sort of like shook that the dreams go both ways she dreams again about bradford Smythe dying and she's freaked out about it then when she wakes up um killian says the demon is awake and she comes back to talk to him and the demon is like 
super chill and he reveals that like he's a he's a vegetarian and what he does is he eats emotions but then he secretes like basically a a positive psychotropic drug that just makes people feel like chill and mellow and that he was he had been captured by someone named Sean who was essentially using him to create drugs mm-hmm. using his secretions to sell as drugs and that Sean is going to kill him if he finds out he escaped and he's like really terrified of the sky. So Nina heads back to the castle with Reese and is like, oh, hey, do you know any demons that like they don't eat people, but they eat emotions and actually they're really chill and maybe I don't know, they're yellow, just spitballing here. Mm-hmm. And Reese is like, oh, well, I don't because there's no and this seems so fucking bonkers. There's no <laughs> database of demons. There's no list of demons. There's just different demons in different books. But I bet I could do that as like my watcher senior thesis. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, that is bonkers. And for, yeah. like, a group of people who are fucking so into researching and, uh, like, apocalypse prophecies and all this shit, you, somebody's gotta have, like, at least an index somewhere, but apparently not. Maybe it was lost after season eight. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never know. Also, it's just amazing to me that, like, there's a Watcher thesis that someone needs to do when there are, like, four Watchers yeah. left on the planet or whatever, <laughs> so, but whatever (laughs) yeah in the process of this research this is also when nina actually learns all the stuff about bradford and her mom being adopted and she reads this prophecy the one that we've seen earlier that's like clearly about the twins and the end of the world we also find out in here that nina's mom is like oh well like i think you should go to boarding school Mm, yeah and i think you'd like really like it there and i think here's some brochures like I'm going to send you there. It's going to be great. And she's real pissed about it. Yeah. Like a normie boarding school. Yeah. And then Honora Wyndham Price comes home and like just immediately is a big bitch again. She's like, oh, Nina. Also, she calls Nina Wheezy, which is rude. She's like, hey, Wheezy, like written any more poetry? LOL. And Leo kind of stands up for Nina, which she is into. And then Honora flirts with Artemis, which is rude. But Artemis is into it, which is rude of Artemis. Yes. And she claims that she has been out. They knew that she had been out like in the field hunting demons. And she's like, oh, there's like this big, powerful, awful demon in Dublin. Uh, And she basically describes the Coldplay demon who at this point, I believe we know is named Doug. Yeah. And is like, oh, like he's yellow and he has horns and like he's wears Coldplay t-shirts. Has Mm -hmm. anyone seen him? And Nina doesn't come out and say that she hasn't seen her but she's very skeptical she's like i don't know that kind of sounds like a demon that wouldn't be that dangerous at all actually yeah which is a big like conflict because she's like it's really whack that i trust this demon more than like an actual you know active watcher but this watcher's a bitch and doug seems chill and like she stands by it yeah and leo also at this point claims like oh like anora is just like mad because she never wanted to be a watcher and you get to not be a watcher. So she's just like really jealous of you. And he was like, this sounds fake, but okay. But yeah, but Anora is Wesley's sister. And so we know that like she did want her kids to be watchers and she was like really, really bitchy to them. Yeah. This is a book about bad moms. Yeah. A lot of bad moms in here. Yeah. (laughs) Nina has another dream 
and about Bradford Smythe again. And when she goes to see him, she sees that he, in her dream, he dies. And she goes to see him and sees that he is like actually dead in real life. Yes. And that's bad, clearly. Yes. And still people are like, I don't know if you're having Slayer dreams. Like, he was just old and he had a heart attack. And she's like, but I saw him dying in my dream. And then he did die. And, like, the other adults in the castle are kind of like, I don't think that's a big deal. Yeah, it's very, they're very dismissive. And she's very mad because even Eve is very dismissive of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she thought Eve was her nice mommy. Yes. And so she goes out to see Killian and to investigate, like, Doug the Coldplay Demon some more to see if what Anora is saying is really right. And it turns out that, like, Doug is real chill. And he's like, no, like, I'm I'm chill. I just want to go see Coldplay. I just want to go backstage to Coldplay concert. Mm-hmm. It's my only goal in life. The reason that I was over by the castle, I was coming this way, was because I was going to the castle because I have a contact there. Who's, whose name is Smythe. Yes. And before she can ask for more details Anora and Artemis show up because they followed Nina to Doug yes and Doug is afraid of art of Anora I mean Doug is like already knows Anora and is afraid of her yes and Anora starts fighting with Nina like physically which is weird because like she's just a watcher and she shouldn't be as strong as Nina who's a slayer but she's like really holding her own and while this fight is happening Doug escapes by by getting Killian high on his own supply of happiness (laughs) drugs and so Killian is just like so happy and just like out of it and then Artemis is like I don't know why you're so mean to Honora like she's been writing to me the whole time she's been gone and she's like the only person who like cares about me and Nina is really shocked that all this has been happening and Artemis has never mentioned it Mm. Um, And she also, like, claims that, like, Anora told me about what happened with Leo and she apologized and she said she was going to apologize to you, but you wouldn't let her. And it's like, okay, well, she was 16 and Nina was 13 and this was a really terrible thing. And I I don't think that doesn't really jive, but I understand she's your crush and you, you know, whatever. But Nina goes back to the castle and she talks to Eve and Leo and Eve's like, oh, I'm so sorry that I had to pretend that I didn't think you have real Slayer dreams, but I didn't want to, like, let your mom on that that we were training you as a Slayer. So I had to, like, act like I don't believe in Slayer dreams, but I totally do. Yeah. There's, okay, let's just kind of cut through. There's a bunch of, like, inter-adult watcher squabbling and, like, more of these italics interludes of the hunter watching the girls and, like, needing to kill them because of this prophecy about destroying the world, blah, blah, blah. Kusmina dies, is killed through sort of mysterious circumstances. But when they go to her, I mean, like it's a vampire, but like what one? Anyway, they go to her flat to check on her and they find a business card for a place called Naked Grains where Sean works. And it's this like crunchy hippie health food store where they sell these like special teas that are clearly like made of demon secretions or whatever, like Doug's happiness tea and some other ones. And they go to confront Sean and he kind of monologues about how like he has all the power and like demons aren't all bad. If you can profit from them, like Sean is basically like, what about capitalism? You guys. Yeah. And he's also, he is the person who was running the underground demon fight club 
Mm-hmm. And Nina recognizes him from that. And he she finds out that he's working with Enora and that because like Enora's pissed that she's been getting shitty watcher assignments because the Nina and artist Mrs. Mom hates her that she's been doing this instead and like making money and like taking demon drugs for extra strength. And mm-hmm. Artemis defends Enora, which is like hurtful hurtful to nina but nina's like pissed and she also at this point is starting to suspect that her own mother is like maybe setting leo up and setting them up to kill them sean's office also introduces chekhov's remora demon which is like i guess a kind of demon that grows to fill the size of whatever it's in and so you can contain it in an aquarium and it's just like a creepy thing in your office but if you let it out of the aquarium it would like eat the world i guess yeah it'll fill it'll fill a whole room i have a lot of spatial slash physics questions about this demon but i'm just gonna i'm i'm just yeah, gonna put those like, aside how for is now there, how is there more than one of them in the world <laughs> i don't know but anyway just just mentioning that here now for no particular reason yeah um so nina <laughs> runs it goes out into the woods because she's like real pissed at artemis for the whole anora thing um, and she finds Doug and realizes that her mom is helping him and she's the Smythe who is working with him. Mm-hmm. So she is like her her opinions on her mom are like sort of morphing. Uh, and she Leo comes to see her and she uh, comes to see Nina, that is, and uh, protect her so that nothing comes at her after her in the night. And she has a dream about Killian dying. So mm-hmm. she gets wakes up all the other like teen watchers and they rush over to Killian's house and he was unconscious, but they're able to give him CPR and and by day it's Nina. Like Nina saves his life because nobody else like bothered to learn CPR. Yeah. And Artemis at this point, there's been all this like Honora keeps being like, Oh, Artemis gave up everything for you, Nina. And Nina's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it turns out that, like, the last Watcher test was, like, a magical simulation where Artemis had to choose between saving Nina or saving the entire world. And she chose to save Nina, although arguably Nina is part of the entire world. But anyway, but because of that, like, quote unquote, selfish choice, she failed the Watcher test. And now she's not able to become a full-blown Watcher, which uh, Anora is mad about. And yeah. to a lesser extent, Artemis is mad about. So there's a lot of like, who's the bad guy? Is it our mom? Is it Leo's mom? Who knows? Who is there a different bad guy? Is it Anora? Is it Anora's mom? And Nina goes out to see her mom and Doug and finds that Doug is gone and her mom is unconscious. And her mom wakes up and finally is like, I'm so sorry that you thought that I hated you. Like the reason that I left you in the fire is because I knew you were a slayer. So I knew that you had the magical ability to stay alive in the fire longer than your sister. And I guess I've just treated you like garbage for all these years for funsies, but it wasn't because I didn't like it. It's a very weird like turnabout where we're it. Her apology is not at all on the level of the things that it seems, at least from Nina's perspective, that she's been doing to her over the years. Yeah, it's like very too little, too late, Helen. Yes, and she is trying to apologize, and Nina like mostly accepts it, but mostly she is trying to figure out what's going on. She's getting all these texts from Killian and Reese who are like, oh, you should come to Killian's house right now. Yeah, no reason, but just come. And (laughs) she's like, no, I need to stay here and like work out, work stuff out with my mom. And then Leo kisses her and is like, you should go to Killian's house. It'll be nice. And she's like, no, I need to stay here and finish this. And he's like, oh, fine. And then he like 
fully kidnaps her. Uh, and he's like also really strong, like way stronger than he should be because he's not a slayer. But Nina's able to drug him with Doug's shirt because it has the like happiness excretions on it. And Leo gets like high off of it, but not in a useful way. Like he won't <laughs> tell her the plan. He's just like, you're so pretty. Your hair's so pretty. So Nina goes back to her room and finds Eve. And it turns out that Eve is actually a succubus and she's been draining people's energy while they sleep. And that's why everyone's been extra super cranky since she got back. Mm -hmm. And she didn't mean to kill Bradford, but he was old and he did have a heart attack when she was draining him. Yes. And that her goal is to drain Nina's Slayer power so that she can have enough power to open another Hellmouth because it turns out that Leah's father is a full-blown incubus and is trapped in the Hell Dimension and was trapped there for good when magic was killed. Mm-hmm. But like she really wants her him back. So she's like gone crazy and she's going to drain Nina and do this. And Nina allows it because otherwise she's going to kill Artemis. Yes. And while and so Nina has to be asleep for this process to happen. And so while she's sleeping, she dreams of Buffy. And before she sort of like seen Buffy in the big like Slayer dream, but this time she goes and talks to her and and Buffy tells her to like, only you can decide what it, what it means to be a Slayer. Like, don't let being a Slayer define you. And they have like a cute little combo. And Buffy tries to give her her phone number so she can call her in the real world. But in the dream, it just turns into like a demon triangle symbol. <laughs> yes. So they all, she wakes everyone in the whole castle up and everyone, including the little kids because they're like, ah, oh, this could be the end of it. Like they take the little kids and they're like, all right, well, like you go this way. We're going to go this way. Like we're going to find Eve. She's going to the, the naked grains health food store and she's going to try and open a Hellmouth. And there's a lot of like fighting to try and stop Eve from opening a hole to the Hellmouth, but she does. And they're able to, like kind of stop her from opening it all the way. And then uh, Nina frees the Remora demon. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopes on the bet that like the store will be enough to stop it from expanding one way, but the Hellmouth it'll expand into the Hellmouth and then like cork the Hellmouth, I guess. Yeah. <sighs> it's a really plot convenient, weird demon. It does seem like a bit of a reverse engineered kind of, yeah, plot demon, but it just yeah a lot of questions about what's going to happen eventually when like the building gives way and just but we're just we're not going to worry about that yeah (laughs) Yeah. i mean i guess the basement was like reinforced because he was storing other demons in there so i guess it's not like it's a regular basement it's a cool basement (laughs) it's not just Um, good it's good enough (laughs) (laughs) uh, but part of so leo's half demon and because of that like part of his demon thing is that he's very dense like physically very <laughs> dense and heavy. The way that this is explained is that like because Earth knows he's supposed to be in hell, gravity is always trying to pull him down to hell. Well, and but- so it makes him like hard to lift and like the car uses more gas when he's sitting in it cuz he's just like pulling it down with his heavy personal hell gravity. This is all just fine if you don't think too hard about it. So yeah. let's not. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm not. Uh, So she can't get him out of the basement when the demon is expanding. Um, So she thinks that he died. And he's unconscious, so he can't walk on his own. He's like, yes. 
So she thinks that he's dead, but they they all get out and the the teen watchers are like, you know what? The grown-up watchers fucked this up too much. We teen watchers are now in charge. Like there's with Bradford Smythe dead and Eve dead, it's just Artemis and Nita's mom and Wanda Wyndham Price and the librarian adult watchers. And the librarian's like, hey, like as long as I can stall my library, you guys can do whatever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. Which is on brand. Yes. And Eden Artemis's mom is like, yeah, no, we suck. So they all like unanimously vote to kick Wanda Wyndham Price out of the Watchers Council. And then the teens take over, which to be honest, like does seem like it probably is going to work out a little bit better. Honestly. And then we get one more like italics interlude that explicitly reveals that this hunter who's been trying to kill the twins because of the prophecy is Imogen, the like nanny watcher. Mm-hmm. Which in retrospect, like, I don't know, three interludes previously you could have figured that out if you'd been paying attention, but I didn't. I didn't either. I didn't either. It took me until until then. Yeah, because it's like in the fla- in the flashback, she's always like drawing on her arms, which Imogen does, and there's something else, like something about the candy she eats. But like, who cares? Anyway, yeah. it was Imogen. And there's two two other important things happen right at the end, and the first is that Artemis and Honora leave together to go on. I imagine like a sexy road trip of finding themselves now that they don't have to be watchers anymore. Mm-hmm. And Nina has a dream about Leo where he comes to her and kisses her and calls her the last slayer again. And she's the last slayer because she turned into a slayer right at the moment that magic was being killed. So no more slayers can be called, but she was the last one who was made. And then when she wakes up from the dream, she crushes her alarm clock with slayer strength. Yeah. Um, and that's it. And there is a sequel to this book that I might read for fun, honestly. Same. Really. I'm going to read it for fun, too, I think. All right. So good job. <laughs> This so rarely happens on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I mean, we booked not by Bort- Nora Roberts, at least. Right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's move to our dramatic readings and just give you a little little taste of this book. And uh, I'm going to read just from a part when they're, it's about halfway through the book, when they're like leaving the castle to go try to find Cusmina and mostly just Killian's reaction to Nina's name is like exactly the reaction that I had. And so I wanted to read up. (laughs) Okay. Who the hell is Athena? Killian asks. I raise my hand. Oh, that makes so much more sense. I had questioned your mother's intelligence, naming one of you Artemis and the other Nina. The whole point to having twins is to give them matching names. Yes, Artemis deadpans. That's why our parents had us. (laughs) Artemis was the goddess of the hunt, a protector. It fits my sister perfectly. Athena was the goddess of wisdom and war. It's never escaped my notice that everyone thought Nina fit me better than my real name. Everyone except Leo. If we have twins someday, Reese says, we'll give them matching names. Killian nods in agreement, then claps his hands together. Little Sonny and Cher will be so adorable. Jane and Austin, Reese says. Meryl and Streep, Leo offers without looking back. That's the one, Reese shouts. You can be their godfather. Killian beams. Oh, it's just cute. There's some cute little banter in this book. I liked it. Our next dramatic reading, Talia's gonna do, and it is about Doug the Coldplay Demon. Oh yeah, Doug. That's <laughs> probably my favorite character in this book, honestly. Yeah, I was very pleased to see from the wiki that he's listed as a character in both books. Oh, I want hell more yeah. Doug. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, well... 
So, uh, yep, this is about Doug. (laughs) So, Killian nods amiably. Sure, mate. I mean, demon. I mean, do you have a name? Doug. Horns, black teeth, virulent yellow skin cracked like desert ground. Yeah, you look like a Doug, Killian says, then turns and leaves. I sigh, leaning against the table. Details, then. It kills in the victim's sleep. Bradford didn't seem to be upset or in any pain until he just sort of died. I didn't really see the demon. There was more of a sense of it. Darkness, shadows. Interesting, Doug breathes in through his teeth, making a strange whistling noise. You're sure it's demonic, not a vision? Both. Hmm. He plays with one of his delicate gold hoop earrings. Why would the demon kill this man specifically? He the only one there? No, there are a bunch of us. If I were a demon who ate people, I wouldn't pick an old man. I'd pick a tender young thing. Gross, you're awful. You're the one asking me to figure this out. Stop being so specious. I've never killed anyone in my life. I don't even eat meat. I exist to make people happy. That's it. That's all I want. To be free and make people happy and also get backstage passes to a Coldplay concert. Think of how much I'd have to eat around Chris Martin. Doesn't he seem like the happiest bloke? <laughs> Cutie. <laughs> Doug. <laughs> oh, I guess I guess one other the I, I guess one thing that also we didn't mention about the end of the book is that the when the teens take over, it is because explicitly they're like, we've learned a lesson that it, all demons aren't bad. So we have turned the Watcher's Castle into like a real chill place where good demons can come hang. Mm-hmm. Such mm-hmm. as Doug. Yeah, such as Doug. <laughs> so I'm going to do the last dramatic reading and is about the uh, hippy dippy grocery store where Sean, the demon fight club manager, is working. <laughs> we meander. There are a few varieties of tea I recognize. English breakfast, which I like. Earl Grey, which tastes like old ladies' underpants per- soaked in perfume. Chamomile and 10 different types of green. But then there are bins with weird names and descriptions of the effects. They don't have any prices listed. Excuse me. Leo steps in front of the fake clerk with an air of vague annoyance. There are no prices. How much is dreams of my enemy's weakness tea? Is it caffeinated or is it like sleepy time? The guy raises one scarred eyebrow. That's available by special order only. Mm-hmm. I cluck my tongue. Bummer. What about... I peer around the guard to an empty container. What about happiness in a cup? That sounds yummy. Ooh, guaranteed to cure depression and ease anxiety. Maybe I'll slip it in my mom's teacup the next time I want to ask for more allowance. Is it like St. John's wort? It has similar effects to psychotropic drugs, the guard says, his expression as friendly as a machine gun. All Mm. organic, of course. It's Mm. a natural mood enhancer. I think I heard about that from a friend. I look heavily at Artemis and Leo. You remember my friend I met at Killian's. When will it be restocked? The supplier is having technical difficulties. You can sign up for our mailing list. He reaches into his pocket and pulls out a piece of paper. I take it with a smile. It has a website listed under the Naked Grains logo. Along the bottom is some weird triangle symbol, like a logo. Thanks. Do you have any... I try to think of the most absurd food product imaginable. Probiotic chocolate? Aisle four. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I hurry out of the guard's aisle to go several down before stopping to huddle with Artemis and Leo. An armed guard for tea? All the tea that had no prices had a special symbol on the bottom of the label, Label Leo says. I hold up the mailing list slip. He nods. That's it. The interlocking triangles. 
There might be something here after all. Artemis studies the back of the store. I use every ounce of slayer strength I possess not to shout, I told you so. (laughs) Suck it, Artemis. (laughs) Now it's time for Reader's Advisory when we suggest books to read instead of or in addition to Slayer. Which, again, I mean, I do feel like if you were a fan of Buffy... Or even if you weren't, it's a pretty solid read. It's just confusing marketing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would say that you probably don't. I mean, if you have like a vague awareness of Buffy, it's probably fine. You don't need to have watched or read it in depth. Yeah, you really don't. Kirsten White, the author of this, is a pretty prolific YA author in her own right, like aside from the Buffy tie-in. I haven't actually read any of her stuff, but her latest trilogy is like some king arthur fan fiction the first one is called the guinevere deception it's if you like this you'd probably be into that i do actually think i just heard someone talking about that in a positive way so yeah no like she's a well-regarded author i just haven't read any of her other stuff there's always fan fiction we like we like to tell you to do that but again like this isn't this isn't bad (laughs) yeah talia do you have any recs yeah i would say that if for anyone who is really into Buffy, it's worth reading the graphic novels, particularly like the continuing seasons. So there's season eight, which they talk about in this book. And then I think that actually goes through all the way to season 12. And it's pretty fun. And it kind of can do some visual stuff that you would not have been able to get in the show, you know, during that period or, or even now. So yeah, highly recommend. I'll say tonally also, this reminds me of the Vampire Diaries spinoff TV show Legacies, which I am loving. Like, it's a similar, like, a chaotic boarding school vibe. (laughs) All right, we'll have those and some other ones that we didn't get around to talking about up at our website, worstbestsellers.com. And now it's time for The Rock Paper Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Talia will choose which most enhances the book, or she can choose paper, which is to leave it as is. Ooh, pressure. Ooh. (laughs) Okay. So if Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this book, he would own like a small gym near Killian's mom's magic shop, and he would take an interest in looking out for Killian while his mom's away. Killian's mom keeps going on all of these culturally appropriative religious retreats, his words, and she's absent for basically the whole book. So The Rock would like wander over to Killian's the night that Anora and Artemis follow Nina to Killian's house to check on Doug. And it would pull him, The Rock, into all of this like demon watcher slayer nonsense. He would break up that fight and then he would end up kind of joining the gang and provide some like chill, non-murderous adult supervision. He would take more of an interest in their lives than most of their parents did and also would not be trying to kill any of them. But he would also, like, understand that as Watchers and Slayers, the kids are pretty well equipped to take care of themselves. So he wouldn't, like, totally get up in their shit. He would let them handle things on their own to a certain degree, but he would be there if they needed him. If Wolverine were in this book, he'd be looking for a place to drink in Dublin when he'd uh, stumble into the Demonic Fight Club. He would jump in and use his noted wolf adjacent abilities to communicate with the werewolves and get them to run off into the woods with him to wait out their transformations so nina wouldn't have to feel bad about any of them being killed in the fight club the rest of the fight and book would proceed as as scheduled Ooh, okay this is tough i yeah Mm -hmm. i feel like honestly maybe for just like 
for the greater good, like instead of, you know, because I think for the greater good, I'm going to go with The Rock sort of becoming the non-murderous adult supervisor, because I just feel like that would have a lot of tangible sort of like positive effects on the whole group. And yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go with that. Totally. It's a great choice. Yes. As always, it's a game where everyone wins. Now it's time for Dorothy's Corner, where my cat Dorothy shares his opinions on the book. You're so wise, Dorothy. You're always so wise. I I totally get where you're coming from about the, you know, throwaway reference to the demons who eat cats. It's, I get it. it I know it made you feel uncomfortable. I know you wish that there was a warning for that. And I get it. But also, like... It is an established part of Buffy canon, so, it, you know, I, I can kind of let it go, I think. But I do also hope that when they become a demon sanctuary, they'll also separately use part of the castle as a pet shelter and keep it strictly segregated, obviously, so they won't get eaten. Yes. yes. So hopefully that's in book two, but we'll have to read later and find out. All right. Thanks, as ever, Duarte, for sharing your wit and wisdom with us. Uh, do any humans have any closing thoughts? This is a good book. <laughs> yeah, this book was good. Publishers should maybe let some IP like die or like not everything needs to be a YA novel. But yeah, mm-hmm. it still is good, though. I'm going to agree and say it was generally a good book. I It could have been perhaps a little shorter and mm-hmm. a little more, I, I don't know, just a little tighter in some ways, but overall just a fun read. It could have been not a Buffy book and just about its own like magic boarding school, but okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. All right. Well, if you want to come talk to us uh, and send us other links to the Buffy wiki or whatever, um, we are on Facebook and Instagram at Worst Bestseller Spell Normally. We're also on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S because that was cut out of the prophecy to keep us on our toes. We also... But that we didn't mention that. There's some somebody had cut pieces out of the books they were reading. It's not important. What is important is that we have a Goodreads group that's best accessible by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the Goodreads link. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, all the places where there are podcasts. You know what they are. Uh, If you do find us and subscribe to us there, please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it moves us up on the charts a bit. It makes it easier for new people to find us. Uh, If you don't rate and review us, then we will have to cut all of your appearances out of the podcast and uh, relegate them just to the comics so probably no one will know what happened to you (laughs) and you'll have to deal with that you can also find us on patreon at patreon.com slash worst bestsellers patreon is a service where you offer a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like pay for our hosting and new equipment and our podcast editing software and all sorts of things like that and in return there are perks for you like a newsletter stickers postcards all sorts of things we also have a merch shop that is available by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on merch, where you can find all sorts of designs from our podcast to wear on your body. And finally, we do have a Discord group that is also accessible from worstbestsellers.com. You can come and join our Discord server and chat with other fans of the show and with me and Renata about some things that are show adjacent and some things that are really have nothing whatsoever to do with Worst Bestsellers. But it's I fun. I suspect the Buffy Hive will be active in Discord once this episode goes up. <laughs> yes. Just
And uh, if you want to follow me personally by myself on social media, I'm at Renata Snacks on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to follow me personally, I am at 14 across and I'm mostly on Instagram these days. And Talia, where can we find you? I'm not super active on either Twitter or Instagram, but I am there at Talia with three A's. (laughs) All right. If anybody wants to hire you as a copy editor, is there anywhere they can look for you or is that not really going yet? Oh, well, honestly, DM me either Instagram or Twitter and I will respond. I would love to copy edit your shit. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, Talia, thanks so much for joining us. It was a delight to share this book with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun to geek out and get a little nitpicky with you both. So yeah, (laughs) it's all we're here for. (laughs) All right. And we will be back as a podcast in two weeks. We'll be continuing our journey through the darkness with The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see you then. Yeah. Uh, Thanks. Bye. Bye. Doug, Doug, Doug.